right, well, good morning, Hope Church. Welcome. Thank you all for joining us. Our scripture today is Matthew chapter 6, verses 7 through 8. Let's read this together. It says, And when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think that they will be heard for their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask Him. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, um, I just thank you for all that are just taking the time to log on and to log in and to, uh, God, just to, to be a part of this service, this online service. And uh, Lord Jesus, uh, you know that I, I need you, um, God, that I need you to speak through me, that I need you to give me words. Jesus, I know that the power is from you. It's not from me. So God, just do what only you can do. I'm trusting you, Lord, just um, be magnified in this place. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. All right, so welcome. Thank you guys so much for, for joining us today. My name is Logan Smith. I'm one of the pastors here at Hope Church. Our lead pastor, Jeff Eaton, he is at Lake Cumberland. He is a, a part of a ministry there that um, he started 30 years ago. So he's preaching at the lake, um, does it every Labor Day weekend. So we are praying for him as he preaches today at the lake. Um, but we have been in an emphasis these past several weeks on discipleship and on creating a culture of discipleship. And so last week, even with our online service, we did a powerhouse week, which was all about just song and scripture and prayer. Uh, but the week before that, I got to preach as well, and we talked about being in scripture. And if you remember uh, from that week, it said that the, the two most important yet often overlooked elements of discipleship are scripture and prayer. And so last time uh, we focused on Scripture. We talked about four reasons why we typically don't read. And if we do read, we may not read it correctly. And how the underlying issue really is just a fundamental misunderstanding of what Scripture is meant to do, which is to give us life. When we, when we read Scripture, it tells us of the salvation and life that is found in Christ Jesus alone. And so when we understand scripture and what it's meant to do, then we, we echo with Peter, where else are we going to go? And so today we're going to focus on the second element. We're going to focus on prayer. All right. And so uh, back there in those verses, Matthew chapter six, verse seven, uh, right at the beginning, Jesus says, when you pray. So notice that he did not say, if you pray, he said, when you pray. There is an expectation on the, the, for the followers of Jesus Christ that we will be a people of prayer. Right, so I don't even think it crosses the mind of Jesus that if we are following him, that we're not going to pray. Like, no, it is an expectation. It is what we do. It's a non-negotiable in the life of a believer. And so instead of like last time, instead of focusing maybe on reasons why we you know, maybe why we don't pray enough or why we don't pray as we should. I want to go and, and just focus on something else entirely because, again, we've been in an emphasis on discipleship and creating a culture of discipleship, which we at Hope Church, we are absolutely sifting towards. We're shifting towards this, um, th this culture of discipleship in our church. And so today, the question we're going to be asking is not, are you praying it's, what are you praying for? What are you praying for? What do your prayers consist of? Because here's the thing. If we want to see a culture of discipleship in our church and in our daily lives, 
then we have got to learn to pray very specific discipleship-oriented prayers. Uh, there in verse 8, Jesus says, he says, the, the, the Father knows what you need before you ask Him. It's like if we're, if we're trying to live a lifestyle of discipleship and in a culture of discipleship, well, the Father knows what we need in order for that to happen. The question is, do you know what we need? Are you praying for the right Thing. So that's what we're going to do today. There's a lot of things we can be praying for in culture of discipleship. There's a lot of things we can ask the Lord for, but we're going to look at three very specific prayers that we need to regularly be praying if we are to experience a lifestyle and culture of discipleship. So um, the very first prayer, all right, uh, we've already been in Matthew 6, 7 through 8. Let's keep reading and let's look at verses 9 and 10. Jesus says, pray then like this. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So here's the first prayer that we need to be praying as we embark on a lifestyle and culture of discipleship. We need to pray that God and God alone would get all glory and honor that he rightfully deserves. That's the first thing we need to be praying for. We need to pray that God and God alone would get every ounce of glory and honor that he rightfully deserves. So where do we see that? Let's unpack the, the, these verses a little bit. So that first part, hallowed be your name. All right, so the name of God is not just a title, right? Like I know here in America, like our, our names, let's be honest, like they don't, they don't really mean much a lot of the times, like, like my name's Logan, like, that's my title. I have no idea what Logan means. Sorry, mom and dad, you know, but I have no idea what it means. Um, we just don't, there's just not as a lot of emphasis on the meaning of our names. But in Jewish culture and in Jewish history, your name meant everything. I mean, absolutely everything. Your name was not just a title, it was representative of who you are at, the, at your very being. And how much more so did that apply to Jesus and to the Lord? The name of God meant everything. It was fully representative of who he is. So when we pray, Father, hallowed be your name, or glory to your name, or your name be kept holy, that is a prayer that desires God to be recognized by the whole earth as who God is. That is a prayer that desires God you set yourself above everything else to get all glory and honor. And so then it says, your kingdom comes. So what is the kingdom of God? What is the rule and reign of Christ in our lives? We want the rule and reign of Christ to be over everything. And then your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. This is a prayer that says, God, whatever you desire, whatever your purposes, whatever your desires are for this earth, let them be done. Your purposes, right? So we see your glory, your kingdom, your will, all of it be done. You receive all glory and honor, your kingdom, your will on earth as it is in heaven. So what does this have to do with discipleship? I'll tell you, it has everything to do with discipleship. It has absolutely everything to do with discipleship. Listen, we live in a culture that is obsessed with three things, okay? Those three things are me, me, and me. We are obsessed with me, We're obsessed with us. We are all about us. I mean, 
Everything screams this, okay? I mean, listen to some of these slogans of businesses today. Uh, Burger King, have it your way. L'Oreal, because you're worth it. Gatorade, is it in you? Visa, everywhere you want to be. Gillette, the best a man can get. Red Bull gives you wings, right? Like, it's all about us. And so, and, and like, I can't tell you how many high school graduations and baccalaureates that I've been to my time here at, at Hope Church. But, I mean, in just about every single one, I'll almost universally hear the speaker get up and say something along the lines of, and when you leave this place, you chase your dreams. You know, you go after your goals. You go after your dreams. Don't let anybody tell you you can't do it. It's your dream. It's your plan. You go get it. Right? It's all about me. And unfortunately, this mindset of me, this obsession with me, has completely infiltrated the church. I mean, we, we choose our churches. We go to churches that fit our style of worship that we want it to be. That fit our style, what we think the preachers should be. That say the things that we want them to say. That offer us and our families and our kids all the things that we believe that it should offer. And if they don't offer those things, if they don't fit our mold, well, peace out. We're gone. I mean, we, we want the Burger King church. We want it our way. So this prayer truly becomes a difficult prayer for many because essentially what it's doing is it's saying no to me. It's saying no to me. It's the decrease of us for the increase of God. It is a prayer that says, not my name be great, but Father, your name be great. Not my kingdom come, but God, your kingdom come. Not my will be done, but your will be done. We are laying down the pursuit of our names being known for the sake of his name being known. We lay down our kingdoms for the sake of His kingdom. We lay down our will for the sake of His will. And so that is why this prayer has everything to do with discipleship. Because if we want to see discipleship in our lives, then we have to realize that discipleship is not built on us. It's not. A culture of discipleship built on me will crumble in an instant. But a culture of discipleship built on Jesus Christ, on His name, and His kingdom, and His will, that's, that, that lasts forever. That's an eternal impact. So we lay down us. We pray that God would be glorified above all else at all times, that His glorious kingdom would tear down our kingdoms, and that His glorious will and purpose and desires would come to pass. So that's the first prayer we need to be praying. Uh, the second one, Matthew chapter 9, verses 35 and 36. It says, And Jesus went throughout all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues, and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom, healing every disease and every affliction. And when he saw the crowds, he had compassion for them, because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. So the second thing we need to pray for is a deep compassion for the lost. We need to pray for a deep compassion for the lost. In verse 36, that word compassion is this Greek word, splachnizomai. Um, Sounds like a bad sneeze, right? Splachnizomai. Um, it's this Greek word that gives the sense of not just like 
empathy and not just like a feeling bad for someone. No, this is a incredibly strong word that means in my gut. I'm so deeply moved and so deeply broken that I have this physical gut pain for other people. And it's very rarely used in the Bible. And when it is, it is only used of Jesus. When he looks at these crowds, when he sees the people around him that are harassed and helpless, which those words give this picture of literally being ripped apart and cast down to the ground. When he sees that they're like sheep without a shepherd, when they're lost and wandering, it says that he is physically hurting for them. He is wrought to his core. Do you have that kind of compassion? Do we have that? Do I have that? Do we have that kind of deep in our very bowels and our guts, this pain and hurt and anguish over the fact that there are people around us every single day who are lost without Jesus and condemned to an eternal hell? The Apostle Paul also demonstrates this kind of anguish over those who are lost. Look at Romans chapter 9, verses 1 through 3. Paul says, I am speaking the truth in Christ. I am not lying. My conscience bears me witness in the Holy Spirit that I have great sorrow and unceasing anguish in my heart. For I could wish that I myself were accursed and cut off from Christ for the sake of my brothers, my kinsmen according to the flesh. That is a serious prayer. That is a hard prayer. Because like, I don't know about you, but I love my salvation. I mean, I love my relationship with Christ. There's absolutely nothing that I would rather have than my relationship with Christ Jesus. But Paul says that he is in such anguish, such sorrow in himself that he would rather be accursed, given over to death and destruction, separated from Christ himself, so long as that meant that others could know Jesus. Guys, that's an anguish that I honestly don't know if I have. I mean, that's, that's a compassion I honestly don't know that I have, but that's the compassion of Jesus. That's the compassion of a disciple. So guys, do your hearts break for the lost people around you? Are you broken over the fact that every single day you cross paths with people who don't know Jesus, who are still dead in their trespasses and sins? who are still standing under the condemnation of God, who will face judgment and wrath of God. I mean, church, that could be anybody. I mean, that's, that's people at your job. That's people who go to your gym. Those are people who are friends. Those are your kids' friends. Those are your kids' teachers and administrators. That's, um, that, that's people you game with online. Those are people that, that, those are other parents of your kids' soccer and basketball teammates. Um, those are even people in your family. Like, do you break for them? Are you hurting for them? Do you have compassion for them? Does the glory of the cross and resurrection of Jesus Christ that saved you compel you to want to share with them the life-saving gospel of Christ? Guys, we have got to pray for this kind of compassion and brokenness because that doesn't come from us. That is a compassion and brokenness that only comes from Jesus. And it is a compassion and brokenness that tells us that we can't sit still any longer. That we can no longer be content with just getting our good Jesus deeds in throughout the week. That tells us that we can't sit 
still, that we need to get up and move for the sake of the glory of God and the salvation of souls. I mean, I hope that even as I say this, that God is highlighting to you in your mind, people, in your family, in your circles that need Jesus. I pray that He is highlighting those people and burdening you right now for them. If He is, then pause this video and pray for them. Right now, go ahead and pray. Pray right now. We pray for compassion and brokenness for the lost. One more prayer we need to pray. Uh, continue on in Matthew chapter 9. Uh, let's read those verses again, 35 and 36. We're going to continue through verse 38. It says, And Jesus went throughout all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues, proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom, healing every disease and every affliction. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion for them, because they were harassed and helpless, like sheep without a shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, The harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. Here's the third prayer we pray. We pray for laborers to go get the harvest. We've got to pray to the Lord that he would rise up laborers to go get the harvest. So what does that mean? Well, the harvest, as you see here, is the very people that Jesus had compassion for. It's the harassed, the helpless, the torn apart, the thrown down, the sheep who have no shepherd. It's, it's the lost. You know, The harvest are those who do not know Christ and who are still dead in their sin and still face the wrath of God. And so we pray to the Lord of the harvest. We pray to the Lord of both the lost and the saved. Because here's the deal. Whether they recognize God as Lord or not, He's still their Lord. Okay, But we pray that he would raise up laborers. And so what are laborers? Well, laborers are faithful men and women of God who desire the name of God to be glorified, who desire for his kingdom to advance, who desire for his will to be done, and who are burdened with compassion for lost souls. Laborers are simply men and women of God who fit the fold, who fit the mold of those first two prayers. We pray that God would raise them up, send them out into the sick, sin-sick world, to this broken world, so that the Lord of the harvest would reap souls, so that He would draw men unto Himself for life and salvation. This cannot be done unless there are laborers. So here's where I think we tend to get confused. Um, we tend to not pray for laborers. We, we actually tend to pray for the harvest. And like what I mean by that is uh, we'll say these general prayers like, you know, Lord, be with all the lost people. Or, you know, Lord, save the lost people. Or, or even, Lord, give us this great harvest. Well, can I tell you, uh, if the harvest is lost souls, we don't want more of it. Like, we want less of that. Like, you see what I'm saying? Um, we, we don't need to pray that God would increase the harvest. That's basically saying, God, give us more lost people. I mean, we don't want more lost people. We want saved people, right? We, I mean, the, the harvest is already plentiful enough. There's more than enough. There's too much, actually. What we need are laborers. We need people to go get the harvest. We need people to go share the good news of the life, death, and resurrection of Christ Jesus. We need people to make disciples. We need laborers. So here's the thing about this prayer. You do not need to pray this prayer unless you're willing for God to raise you up. If you're unwilling to be raised up by God, you probably don't need to pray this prayer. 
unless you're going to surrender your will to His will, unless you're willing to lay down your kingdom for His kingdom, unless you're willing to lay down your name for His, you probably don't need to pray this prayer because the reality is, for many of you all, when you pray that God would raise up laborers, your answer may be, all right, get going. I'm raising up you. Get going. And as, I mean, can I just be honest with you all about something? I hope that's His answer to you. Like, I hope that that is His answer to you. That's what we want the answer to be. I mean, we here at Hope Church, we on staff here, can I tell you something? We are praying that God would raise you up to go do the work of discipleship, to do the work of the Lord, to be a laborer. And not just you, but your family too. We are praying that God would raise you up. This may mean that He sends you to, to, to hard places, to dangerous places. It may mean that He sends you to people you have no desire to go to. It may even mean He raised your kids up to go to hard places or even dangerous places. I mean, guys, I pray for my son Ezra that he would know Jesus and be used by Jesus. But here's the thing. I recognize that that might mean that He raised my son up to go to a place that could get him killed for the sake of the gospel. It's not an easy prayer. But I've got to say no to my name, no to my kingdom, no to my will, and yes to his. I've got to have a greater compassion for the loss and a greater joy in the gospel of Jesus than I have even for my own family. It's because he's worth it. He's worth it. The prayer is not God raise up labors, even if that means me and my family. The prayer is God raise up labors, especially me and my family. He's worth it. His kingdom is worth it. His gospel, which brings life and salvation to all who believe, is worth it. So back to the original question. What are you praying for? What are you praying for? I mean, those are just three prayers that a disciple of Christ Jesus should regularly be praying, but they're not the only ones. I mean, there's several more. As a matter of fact, I had to whittle down my sermon quite a bit because I have like seven prayers, you know, and um, we, uh, we, we, you'd have been on this video for three hours. So, um, But the point is this. Are you praying prayers that would increase the discipleship in your life? Are you praying specific prayers that fill you with a passion for His glory, a compassion for the brokenness for the lost, and a willingness to be a laborer in the kingdom? That is what we need to be praying for. Two invitations as we close. The first one is always for those of y'all who have tuned in and who are listening, if you've never surrendered your life to Christ, the invitation is just to come. It's to surrender your life to Jesus. To know this whole sermon we're preaching, it's about you knowing Christ. It's about you knowing that there's this great God who created all things, who made us in His image, who loves us, but we sinned against Him. We broke that image, and therefore we are deserving of His wrath. But God loved us so much that He sent His only Son, Jesus Christ, who never sinned to claim all of our sins as His own, he took all of our sin. He nailed them to a cross. He died, was buried for three days, and on the third day, He rose from the dead. Jesus is alive. He is reigning. He is ascended to the right hand of the Father, and one day He is coming back to make all things new. And the good news is this. If you believe in that truth, if you believe that He is the Son of God, that God rose Him from the dead, 
then his sacrifice purchases forgiveness for your sin and his life purchases life for you. Will you be saved today? Will you surrender your life to Christ? Be saved from your sin. Be saved from death. Be saved from hell. Be saved into abundant life, eternal with Jesus Christ. And the second invitation is for those who are already surrendered, who are already in Christ. I'm just simply inviting you into a life of discipleship. I'm inviting you into a life of kingdom purpose. Pray these prayers. Pray kingdom prayers. Pray prayers that would increase Jesus in your life and decrease you. Pray prayers that would burden your heart for the lost so that you would go to them as a laborer. The invitation is simply this. Just live the life that you were born again to live. Not the one you were born to live, that you were born again to live. Pray for a life of discipleship. God bless you, church. Thank you for joining us. Grace and peace.